everyone, welcome back to the 443 Security Simplified. I'm your host, Mark the Liberty, and joining me today is Corey Doomsday Knockreiner. Yeah, we got a happy episode for you today as we discuss the future failing of civilization due to technology adoption. Uh, but before that, <laughs> we jump into some chat about nation state hacking uh, and a quick update on the. Fits the theme, by the way. Fits the theme. <laughs> it's awful, all the way down. <laughs> let's, let's just go ahead and go on in before the world ends. It's not that bad. We'll get to it. So let's start this week with a quick update on one of last week's stories. Uh, so last week we discussed CVE 2022-30190, or the Folina vulnerability in Microsoft Windows. You don't even have to say the name. I'm sure every listener memorized 3190 and all the rest of those numbers. It's so easy. There are genuinely some CVEs that I, well, at least at one point had memorized, That's mostly around like office exploits, but... <laughs> Yeah, now that we, we write our ISR report and we have our own PCERT page, I guess we do memorize certain CVs, don't we? Yeah, but in the case of this one with its funny little name, you definitely don't need to memorize the CVE number. Um, but anyways, so last week we discussed this zero-day vulnerability in Microsoft Windows that basically allows uh, attackers to send compromise or malicious Office documents uh, to would-be victims and enables them to basically gain full code execution, typically via PowerShell, um, on uh, victim workstations simply by them either opening the, doc the document or in some cases just by previewing it. Um, and in the case of that, bypassing a lot of protections that Microsoft Office has baked in, like the, uh, what is it, restricted view, as they call it. Um, so since last week, uh, at least at the time of this recording, there is still no patch for the issue and many uh, multiple cybersecurity vendors, uh, such as Proofpoint, have identified everyone ranging from unknown cyber criminals to uh, suspected nation state threat actors targeting organizations with this exploit. Um, in the case of Proofpoint's research, they found uh, nation state threat actors were targeting both EU and US local government organizations utilizing the RTF version of the exploit. So the RTF version being the one that all it takes is previewing it in Windows Explorer, Explorer in order to launch malicious PowerShell. Uh, in the case of these attacks, they saw the PowerShell script fingerprints the endpoints and steals information from local browsers and mail clients, as well as file services, too. Um, Kaspersky also noted an uptick on uh, attacks targeting the U.S., Brazil, and Mexico, and Russia, uh, with the U.S. and Brazil variety most definitely not coming from Russian state hackers. Um, I don't think they mentioned that in the report, but anyways, long story short, though. It's By the way, Metasploit, Metasploit Exploit 2, that I think the RTF one's yeah. uh, available in Metasploit pretty easily, that, again, works with just previewing an Explorer. And still, there is no patch available from Windows yet. All they're giving is the guidance on disabling the MSMDT um, protocol handler with a registry edit. Which, you know, to our listeners and most fo or many folks in IT space, that's good enough. But man, that still leaves a huge portion of the world unprotected. Yeah. I, I guess the, the mitigation was pretty easy for email, but I guess the problem is that mitigation doesn't do much for the RTF and Explorer, right? But there's, are, are there any other mitigations for RTF? You, of course, can assign any viewer 
there are registry settings that basically assign an application to an extension. And I assume the previewing issue works when RTFs are somehow associated with well, that mitigation Microsoft is to Office and straight up disable the protocol handler entire, entirely from SMDT. So yeah. when the, the document so attempts work. to load up its template and uh, call up that system to execute the PowerShell, it, it doesn't. It isn't handled by it. Yeah. So it is. And that should work even with the RTF, effective. right? Yep, exactly. Works with RTF. So I guess if I were being contrarian, what's the big deal that there's no patch in that? For Microsoft, I. I guess the question we might have is, do they plan on releasing one? Because at one point, if I remember correctly, early on, they be you know this was found April before Folina became in the wild, and they basically said it's intended and we're not going to patch it. I'm presuming at this point, now that there's wild exploits, that they might have changed their mind. But my point is, if the mitigation's working, and it's relatively easy, we, di we did it. They aren't being shy about telling you to do that mitigation. For all we know, there may be some complexity to the patching. You know, maybe doing that mitigation does remove OS functionality, so they're trying to find a different way to fix it while still keeping functionality. I don't know, I'm making things up. But is it really that big a deal they haven't released a patch if they've released 100% effective mitigation? Now, if they never release a patch, I would say that is a big deal, but they could be working on it and waiting for a normal cyclical update to get it out because of concerns. You know, sometimes patching 100% isn't easy. Yep. I no. I hear what you're saying. I I do. Th I, maybe not a big deal. I do think it is still important because, like, I there's a class of at least small businesses that will automatically install Windows updates. Like they've got a good update program where they just turn it on. They install willy nilly. Like they don't necessarily have an IT staff that's in there doing manual testing. They just install it, hope it works. And there's a zero percent chance that that class of people will go in and do a registry Look at mitigations. Yeah. Like yeah, thinking yeah. of like my They're mom's law enough firm attention. as an example, like they will, they absolutely install Windows updates as they come out every patch Tuesday, but they're not going to know or, or let's, to go do a registry. Can I state it differently? Is they're not actively going and installing updates. What they are doing is they turn on automatic updates and assume that's all they have to do and forget about yep. it. So they, what you're saying is they will get updates because they do the bare minimum of turning that on. Exactly. They aren't monitoring for mitigations. So yeah, I hear that. That's a good threat. But I guess if we're blaming, I, I, I'm just saying, I, I wish Microsoft would let us know for sure that they do now intend to patch this. It's just a matter of when, in, in, in which case I, I can give them forgiveness that, forgiveness that may, maybe there's a situation that's taking time. And meanwhile, they do have an effective mitigation. So yep. there's some articles out there that might be hammering Microsoft for this. And I feel like it might be a little too soon for that. Uh, if if they do decide not to patch this at all, then I think the entire security industry would be up in arms and think they were crazy. But I do get your point for the small shops that don't pay attention. It's it's still better to have a patch because that's something that even a lose a, a user at home that knows nothing oh, you they will the turn on word. automatic. <laughs> yeah, the one I don't want to encourage because it's not their fault that they're not security experts. <laughs> but even a, a smart accountant will turn on automatic updates but may not follow Microsoft's mitigation tips. So, so I agree with you there that it will be better to have a patch. I just think there could be reasons the mitigation doesn't sound like it's bad. Uh, my only concern would be if they decide they're just not going to patch it at all, in which case I think the entire industry would probably show them that's the wrong choice. Yep. 
Well, yeah, I think I'm with you on that. I hope by the time that this episode airs, uh, there'll be some news. Yeah, maybe they'll have something. Or... What day is it? I guess we won't know. Actually, is next? Is this the second? Have we? Is this the first week still? All the uh, the or weeks was... are blending yeah, together. Yeah, next week. Oh, I guess Patch Tuesday. Did Patch Tuesday happen on the seventh? It would have happened this week. No, or is Patch it next Tuesday week? is the Tuesday after this airs because the first was a Wednesday. So this is yeah. yeah. So, so I guess we might find out next Tuesday. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Um, in the meantime, though, just err on the side of caution, as you hopefully would, but even more with more caution for Office documents, because in the case of these, even just previewing them, not even opening them, is enough to trigger the exploit. Or more specifically, if you didn't apply the registry mitigation, which is relatively simple, we told you last week, go do it. It's also easy to reverse. Part of the mitigation backs it up for you. 100%. Uh, so moving on, uh, we've got a couple of stories I want to chat about, all under the the topic of nation-state hacking. Uh, so let's start with the first one, where CISA, in coordination with Five Eyes organizations and U.S. intelligence, released an alert last week detailing Chinese state-sponsored attacks against network providers and infrastructure. Uh, so they noted that the People's Republic of China... Uh, threat actors were targeting unpatched network devices like small and home office routers and NAS devices using a range of CVEs dating back to 2018. Um, and their attacks were originating from least uh, hosting providers. And there's some inter- interesting tidbits from this alert, which was AA22158A. Uh, so, <laughs> yep, again, sure you've got that memorized. Uh First one being, so, quote, NSA, CISA, and the FBI have observed state-sponsored cyber actors monitoring network defenders' accounts and actions, and then modifying their ongoing campaigns as needed to remain undetected. So they have modified their infrastructure and toolset immediately following the release of information relating to their ongoing campaigns. And, I mean, I feel like all of us kind of suspected this is the case, but it's interesting hearing that called out where basically not only are they waiting to see when they're caught, but they are ready to go and immediately change as soon as their IOCs start getting leaked from wherever they're coming from or whatever the tools they're using. Yeah, it, uh, I think you're right. I think it, it's good. It, it's interesting to see when you have some action that shows proof of this. But any good defender that's dealt with a threat actor that knows that there's threat actors in a system and is trying to remediate in some ways, one of the first things those teams think about is, hey, the second we start to remediate, the bad guys will notice and we'll try to change things. So it it really is that cat and mouse game. But like you said, something I think we all know but, but seeing action of it and having an official entity like all these intelligence agencies talk about that they've seen it happen just show that we're, we are in a, a war with these threat actors who yeah. they're, they're w- watching our strategies as much as we're watching their strategies. They also noted that they often mixed uh, their customized tool set with publicly available tools, especially by leveraging tools that are native to the network environment that they're attacking to obfuscate their activity uh, by Living blending into attack. Yeah, normal noise and activity on the network, which makes sense too. Use native stuff and you don't get caught as easy. They called out a couple of specific tools. They're using open source software frameworks like Routersploit and Routerscan to go after some of these um, exposed uh, consumer-grade networking equipments, um, which, I don't know, again, this, we see this time to time, but it's always kind of funny in my eyes seeing nation state attackers using these open source tools on github i I know there's still that 
assumption that oh they're just not, super right? sophisticated yeah but the reality is that they right, weren't yeah yeah you need and honestly they how would you do it different i mean all these things are doing at least for the router scan you're you're making a connection to known ports and you're looking for for certain headers to find out what kind of thing it is and you know there's not many different ways to do that so why not just use a tool it's more about how know how to evade so yeah no it's weird that they use off-the-shelf tools but we've seen metasploit shellcode in so many attacks and it's at this point i do like these gray tools because they're good for security practitioners too but uh, i i think the bad guys use them as often as the good guys yeah definitely uh the alert highlights the, the bad folks the bad folks bad folks there you go uh, the the alert <laughs> does you highlight threat actors. one specific instance um, with a bit of de interesting detail. So they noted one of the attacks. Uh, the threat actors gained a foothold on the telco organization's network and then obtained credentials for a SQL database that backed up their Radius authentication server, which let them dump all of the credentials of administrator accounts in both clear text and hashed passwords. They then use those credentials to dump the configurations from their network routers, both Cisco and Juniper, and then later returned and modified those router configurations to set up a VPN tunnel to uh, IP under the attacker's control, and then mirror all network traffic through that tunnel to be able to inspect it. That's kind of nuts. Um, yeah. And then they modified log files to destroy evidence and basically hide their tracks after the fact. So now they're just straight up like stealing all of your network traffic to inspect it after the fact. And hopefully a lot of it's protected Whoa. with encryption, but at the same time, like that's pretty crazy. I think it's why we're moving towards zero trust. And it's why I, I guess we'll talk about the recommendations, but any gateway device, any router or, or, you know, device that connects networks together including WatchGuard Fireboxes and other devices like it. It's just, you can see what a valuable source of information they are. You know, they, if, if you can get legitimate access to that, if you can set up a secure tunnel to it, they, they're there to protect you. But if you don't protect them enough, they, they see everything. They literally are a gateway for a reason. So, yeah, it's definitely scary, but it makes you want to definitely... This is why we need to patch hardware. This is why router and security appliances shouldn't be the things in the closet that you install and forget, but they should be patched as often as possible, too. We'll talk about that. Sure, I'm more coming up. Yeah, so for the recommendations, there was actually like a good dozen or so, but some of the main ones were, again, installing patches quickly and consider a centralized patch management system. Um but let's talk about that because yeah. I, I, I think everyone does that. But the central patch management systems I've seen and used are software based. I, I think in these sorts of attacks, they're targeting infrastructure. And I feel like, I, I guess they're definitely vulnerability scanning tools that can scan hardware too. But I feel like the gap is is the place where people are messing up knowing that patching is so important might be hardware over software. Did you yeah. have any thoughts on that? And it, you're right that like most of the patch management applications, it's it's an agent that runs on the host, which you can't necessarily install on like your Cisco router. Um, but you can at least get visibility into missing patches using automated tools like our vulnerability and patch management um, software that we use internally at WatchGuard for security can actually log into routers and switches Network on scans. its own 
and then it will let yep. you know, hey, this is out of date with a big old fat alert so that you can go in and install the patch. So there's still that manual or at least like manual to alert you to then use your automated tools to go and patch them. Um, but like you're right, like at least having that visibility is still going to be most important. Like it, I don't think it is a sustainable um, model for patch management to go manually log into all of your hosts once a month or every couple months to see if they have a patch or not. Like you do need some sort of centralized visibility at least to know what's out Absolutely. there and what its patch yeah. level is for sure. Um, there are additional yeah, agree on that. There are additional guidelines for immediately remove and isolate suspected confirmed devices. Duh. Um, segment networks Compr compromised. Yeah. Segment networks <laughs> and block lateral it? movement. So that zero trust that you were just talking about. Well, actually, let's get a little further in that, because I actually am saying zero trust in a different context here than just segment, because usually what you're using the segment is a routing device like a firewall or other gateway. So to me, if you're using network segmentation, the, the, the attack you highlighted above, theoretically, if they have a credential on one of your routing devices, they can see all segments and their VPN could be set up to access all segments. So in this case, when I was using zero trust, it's not just from a network level, it's the concept that you can't trust your trusted network anymore, which means, you know, you all know that every time you send something over the internet, you're going to encrypt it. But one of the things you said, Mark, is encryption. Zero trust also includes securing your internal network and realizing that you can't trust devices that are sitting on your trusted network either. So applying things like application-based encryption and other application security controls internally even to your own employees. We've said it many times. The accountant, not only it'd be nice to segment them so they don't even have network access to your source code server because he has the accountants have no need for the source code server. But for whatever access you do allow, you should also make sure it's encrypted even when it's inside your quote unquote protected perimeter. So I would go a little beyond segmentation for this one just because if they're attacking a gateway, sometimes the gateway will have access to all the segments. And even like one baby step you can do is just set up out of band management for these devices. So I know like oh, with watch card yeah, devices, yeah. our default is to allow management connections from any trusted network. So any network inside the perimeter, but I would highly recommend going a step beyond that and setting up dedicated VLANs within your network, network just for management. Yeah, Like at WatchGuard, we, uh, in order to manage our devices, you have to connect through a completely separate VPN from the normal user VPNs. It's got even more alerting on it to let us know when something connects. And that is the only way to be able to manage these devices then. And that, that management network isn't seen, you know, the normal local workstation network is not the same network as that management. That's a exactly. fantastic point. By the way, you can even take out of band more literally. I, I, this is probably reserved for the most secure situations, but you don't even, you know, some of these products still have serial devices and you can set up, you know, things to call uh, that have their own authentication too. So it's not even network level. That, of course, is a convenient situation. But for really secure folks, you can take out of band management pretty far for some extra security. Yep. Uh, one of the other bullet points they had was MFA for all users without exception, and followed up by another bullet point of especially for VPN connect, uh, connections. 
I agree with this so much. I think thanks to insurers, we're at least at the point where I don't think everyone does it yet, but we have at least MFA on remote connections. But to me, you don't really have MFA deployed unless your users are logging onto their own laptop with MFA. They're not just doing privileged things like VPN connections with it, but every single applet, you know, there's a portal you have to log into to load any of your business applications. When you first open your laptop or device that day, you have to MFA into it. Uh, I think a lot of companies say, oh, we do MFA, but they don't do that. They're thinking, oh, we do MFA when it's a privileged connection or when we connect to a SaaS app. But uh, I, I like that they're pushing MFA for all users without exception. I think that's the way we should go for sure as like, an industry. Honestly, I even remember like three, four years ago when we were chatting about M MFA, the discussion then was set up MFA for your privileged accounts and that's probably okay. Like obviously it's not ideal, yeah. but that's what's most important. And now like with the ease of- It's better than nothing. Correct. Yeah. With the ease of like the ability to elevate privileges once you've gained access to any account whatsoever, like it's no longer good enough to ignore those unprivileged users. I agree. Um, their final tip I wanted to highlight was just robust logging, which is something we've harped on for a long time. Like you should be logging all activity, audit, audit activity on your infrastructure too, so that if suddenly a new VPN tunnel pops up, you have something to go potentially investigate and ask your knock if, hey, were you guys setting up a new tunnel or did China just hack our Cisco router? Maybe looking at the evasion, because you, you mentioned one of the things they did do is modify local logs to destroy evidence. So besides robust lock, I would start at setup locking. You know, I'm going to give a watch guard perspective. We have a network device that has many, many different ways to lock. If you're, you know, a normal customer with basic security, you could do at least 30 days in our cloud. Uh, you can set up a log server of ours somewhere and gather logs for as long as you want. If you have your own syslog server, you can point it to those. But the actual logs we store on the box itself, tiny amount. I mean, for a tiny company, maybe it's a few days, but for most companies, it could be a few hours at most. And I can't believe how many customers don't have any offline logging. They're only, they only have memory. So besides robust lo store logs, just take the extra tiny bit of effort to point it at least to a syslog server, or even better, point to our cloud so you get 30 days for free if you have basic security or higher, and that will give you something. But the second thing I wanted to point out based on them modifying is have an alternate, back that up. You know, if you are doing it to a syslog server, uh, you should have some way to copy those logs real time to some other syslog server that someone's not going to be able to find in your gateway device. So that if they go then, if an attacker does have access, they see the routing device goes to this syslog server because they can control policy on your routing device now, they can gain access to that, that log and clean it up. You at least have a method that they haven't found yet where you have a, a real copy of logs stored where you can maybe compare one version to the other and look for those modifications. Yeah. Because, um, oh, go ahead. Oh, to put it like plainly, like getting basic logging set up first is obviously the most important thing, but then log integrity after the fact is also critical. Yeah. And I would say this is something that smaller business, you know, it used this used to be extra credit for people that were really secure because we're talking about state-sponsored actors and you'd think, you know, if you asked me five years ago, is a state-sponsored actor going to really attack the average medium business? 
I would have said probably not. That's no longer the case. I mean, the the companies being affected by Russia and China are every single day are, are normal companies. They don't care about the target. They care about the infrastructure they're gaining access to. So even if you're a little business, you need to think about your log integrity and make sure you have some sort of backup. To, because you, you now are dealing with actors that are sophisticated enough that they are trying to modify and clean up their tracks. Yep. 100%. Uh, so in related news to this CISA alert, uh, Russia has now also warned the West that cyber attacks against its infrastructure risk leading to direct military confrontation. Uh, so this came after oh, Russia. really, Russia? <laughs> so all the crap you've been doing for the past 10 years, we, should, we shouldn't ignore that? We should have done direct military confrontation back to you? Yeah. Really? It's okay. Rich. <laughs> oh, sorry. I, I, I should have waited for that, but I just cannot help it. I it's, uh, keep going. So this comes let me hear, after. Let me hear more about how horrible the West is at, <laughs> at doing cyber attacks against civilian infrastructure, Russia. Let it's, me hear about that, Russia. <laughs> the thing that spawned this was it's stupid. So this comes after Russia's uh, housing ministry website was compromised over the weekend to read "Glory to the Ukraine," and so a web defacement. <laughs> They're all freaking mad about a web defacement. Have you seen what you guys have been doing, you utter morons? Okay, sorry. <laughs> so they I can't help it. Yep, they blamed the U.S. for, de quote, deliberately lowering the threshold for combat use of cyber weapons and the militarization of information space by the West and attempts to turn it into an arena Propaganda. for interstate confrontation have Let's greatly increased what we're the threat doing on other people. of a direct Sorry. military clash with unpredictable uh, consequences. And yeah, I 100% agree with you. It's like... It, yes, this is exactly where things have been going when you've been hacking other private organizations yeah. for the past decade. And now it's suddenly a big deal after your website got defaced to say glory to the Ukraine. Yeah, that's it, it's really the biggest thing, you, as you pointed out so well, is what which one they picked to make this statement. Because to be honest, I'm sure the U.S. has been doing counterattacks that are much more sophisticated and much have a, a more intended impact than putting glory to Ukraine on a dumb government website that, by the way, could have just as easily been some hacktivist that did that. Uh, but so if I, if I get off my, my, my personal side of this story, I, I will say all nation states have kind of led up to this lately. Uh, you know, I think something you and I argue is we need a treaty for cyber war. We need some sort of rules of engagement like we have for physical wars, because for a decade now, many threat actors and many state sponsored organizations, and I would even suggest the U.S. I feel like the U.S. is probably doing a good job of at least trying to keep it away from civilians, trying to keep it more around espionage and real military targets with things like Stuxnet and so on. But all, all all the big nations have been experimenting with this capability and it's to the point where cyber attacks have real consequences and not only can they have you know just physical consequences in the real world but I, I think you'd be stupid if you didn't listen to us 10 years ago when we said this is going to turn into part of a kinetic war one day but yeah. it, like you say hearing Russia say that it's just it's literally what Putin does He's the one that acts like a dictator while he's spreading propaganda on both sides as a smokescreen. There is no ignoring the hypocrisy of their statement, but it is true. 
Like it, it like yeah. all these cyber attacks are eventually going to lead to some sort of physical warfare when you just do the wrong, go a little bit too far potentially, or like hammer away at something too much. We we've threatened the same, by the way, because they've been attacking our infrastructure, and we're so it's it's kind of what cybersecurity experts have worried about forever. It's why we had the prediction from probably three or four years ago now, where we hoped that the United the the UN or 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 uh, what's the other one that that governments would come together and try to make some sort of rules of engagement, but they mm -hmm. haven't yet. By the way, if you remember that prediction from long ago, they haven't yet, not because they haven't been trying. It's been a topic of conversation for many, many of their summits. Uh, basically, Russia and China have unified together on, here's the type of rules of engagement we want, which go against basically every other nation. Uh, China and Russia, China particularly, use it as, oh, governments should have the right to censor and control all ingressing you know they're trying to use it for censorship rather yep. than uh cyber attacks so uh but yeah it's uh, this is the thing that everyone saw coming uh the smoke is is covering the land and and finally someone's claiming fire <laughs> that is a perfect description of exactly where we're at with this with nation state hacking um so Moving on to the last story, or la at least last topic, uh, it's time to hit on our favorite, and that is ransomware, where last June, uh, a threat actor started selling the Chaos Ransomware Builder, which is basically a ransomware-as-a-service offering that lets really any script kitty or low-skilled attacker create their own ransomware payloads with custom notes, uh, custom encrypted file extensions, and like a few other features. Um, so by default, Chaos uh, pretends to be the Ryuk ransomware variant, it uses the .ryuk extension for encrypted files. Um, so on Twitter last week, uh, the Twitter account Malware Hunter Team identified a new ransomware attack that's been making the rounds that appears to have been built with the Chaos Ransomware Builder um, that had a custom ransomware note with a pretty interesting uh, payment method. Uh, so instead of demanding Bitcoin to unlock access to your files, uh, this note instructed victims to buy an item on the Roblox game store titled the Ryuk Decryptor and then send a screenshot of the purchase to an iCloud email account to receive the actual decryptor. Um, the Roblox item cost 1,499 Robux, which is, if my math is correct, the equivalent of about $19, uh, which is generous. That's one of the, the lower ransomware extortion fees I've seen. Except with what you're going to tell me next. It'd be generous if it worked. It also turns out that the Chaos Ransomware Builder has a few limitations, namely a 2 megabyte file size limitation, where anything over 2 megabytes in size isn't actually encrypted, it's just overwritten with random data. Uh, so in other words, for 19 bucks, you can get all your tiny, maybe important files, but all the big stuff, which probably had stuff you really wanted, uh, sorry, we deleted that. <laughs> so there's a few things to unpack from here. First off, a ransomware as a service isn't new. Like it's been around for a while. No. Typically it's a, like they take care of the infrastructure. They make a custom payload for you. Um, and then you're just responsible for distributing it. This one, like it reminds me of like a, a good examples like one of those old like build your own video game things you can get where it's like literally copy paste and drag and drop like icons and sprites all over the place as opposed to coding it all from scratch or even using an engine like it seems to really be built for super low skilled people that want to feel like a hacker 
Um, yeah, this is very much script kiddies wanting to make pocket change to buy games rather than true. It feels like to me, true criminals. Like there's two ways you can go. One, the idea of using, I love, what do we call them? Side channels or back channel attacks, you know, whether it's commanding control, whether it's malware spreading, using things that you don't think that are typically associated with malware as, as part of that whole malware kill chain. So it's interesting that they use robo blocks. It's interesting that they're using a game marketplace to, to do this. By the way, you would think robo blocks would immediately do something to make sure this is not in the store. I can tell you don't have any kids that use this because it's called Robux, not Robo Bucks. <laughs> Robux, I'm sorry. I don't I don't play Robo Blocks enough to know how how Robux work, unfortunately. I don't either, so, but I got a family friend I, who's got a son that is like addicted yeah. to this dang thing, so that's all I hear about. But yeah, no, I hear you. It, like, it's I, I see the character on VR chat, so I know it's big enough to the young crowd. The the benefits of like like using Bitcoin or Monero is that it does like add some privacy hide. protection. Like uh, I have to obscurity. imagine cashing out Robux is gotta be extremely difficult to do without giving up the goose on your identity somewhere along the ways. Yeah. Which like, it makes me feel like this specific attack has gotta be some kid that like, you know, found their way onto an underground forum and thought, Oh, I can do that. And decided yeah. to cash out using freaking robot and he's not the one going after a company for five million dollars he's just like probably <laughs> under 16 and needs the 60 bucks with three victims so that he can buy the next full price triple a game or something so but it, it is still it's kind of interesting but this it's also like, self-defeating. I mean, the fact that it only, uh, he's not going to do much business if he if he basically ruins every file bigger than two megabytes. Exactly. <laughs> the, so, the interesting thing about real ransomware is they've had to be pretty good at supporting their product. By that, I mean the decryptor and making sure you really get your data back. When you're asking for ransoms of 15 million, you better have some pretty good ransomware where the, the decryptors aren't hoarded. Yeah, 100%. Uh, this isn't the only ransomware story from the week, though. So in other news, a ransomware attack against the Tenafly Public Schools in New Jersey has forced the district to cancel final exams while they recover. Uh, so the attack, which began on June 2nd, took down all of the school's grading systems, as well as their Google Classrooms that students use for note-taking. And first off, uh, hooray for the students not having to take their final exams. I bet they're pretty happy. <laughs> uh, but the reason I want to talk sure about this is... there'll be a makeup day, which will suck, so it will backfire for them, unfortunately. This was uh, simply... It was not a problem when I was in school, which wasn't that long ago and that like everything was paper and pen and pencil then and now these days like kids get ipads or laptops or like everything is digitized which makes cyber attacks way more pronounced uh in their actual damages that is one bit of a drawback from this like digital transformation that we've been seeing in the education system obviously the benefits of switching to like laptops and tablets and all that clearly outweigh the drawbacks but this is something that schools need to address. Like it's been a week and they still haven't recovered. This specific school district hasn't recovered from this attack. So man, if you're a, a MSP that provides security to a school, make sure you've got Schools. ransomware covered as well too. Yeah. I hate to be a downer, but it's why I'm starting to become, I, I think tech is the new part of a doomsday clock. I think tech is, is great and can help society. But one thing, 
you and I have said for years is I don't think society realizes how embedded technology is into everything. We rely on it for everything. We talk about supply chain and we think boats and in, in, in ships and trucks and trains. Those couldn't run without all the technology. I mean, you'd still have them, but all the schedules would be hork. You know what happened to Maersk when, when WannaCry came out. And I... There, I don't think there is any industry, I, you know, a person that does everything with their hands like a carpenter nowadays. Obviously, they could still do carpentry, but I bet you everything about scheduling and finding customers and getting their wood from their vendors in time and, and, and getting tools and... The reason there's there's supply ch lack, you know, stuff that we don't have enough of isn't is because of things like this. So, yeah, with the doomsday clock, cybersecurity is important to every single aspect of life. Is is non digital and technical as you think your job is? I bet you some aspect of planning and organization and even getting the tools you need depends on technical infrastructure somewhere. So. I think you'll start to see more of things like We're people screwed, not being Corey's able to point. do school. <laughs> unless unless we come together as a society and fight these threat actors and make sure the world knows this is not right and we can defeat it and actually take the time to do secure technology rather than just throwing it out there without thinking about these sorts of implications. Or it, we can there, go the path it doesn't of... have to civilization in in dune and just throw out computers entirely because they can't be trusted oh yeah good point yep but of course then we have these big psychic powers and we can control big sandworms and uh then Sounds some great to dictator me. might take take over all the spice i guess Sounds if you're the great. dictator <laughs> <laughs> i'd be happy to ride the sandworm i wouldn't like to be the the entire culture of that planet that's ruled by some weird dictator though yeah, hundred percent. Either way, though, like you're right on the nose that like digital transformation is taking over every single aspect of life, and it does not. It's not feel a like, bad thing, but no, we have to do something about it, and it's not doing for something a about it. The apathy, like yeah, it helps. it's good. Yeah, but but if we have apathy to the danger, yeah, yeah, security does not appear to be at least security adoption does not appear to be keeping up with the pace of technology deployment. So. Yeah. Oh, well, job security for you and I, at least. Yeah, we'll get there. Eventually, eventually, the things we predict will be acted on within a couple years rather than a decade later. <laughs> eventually. Hopefully. <laughs> we'll see. That's what I tell myself every day. Or Skynet will take over and it's a self-solving problem. Yeah, exactly. I won't have to worry anymore. Because you won't Maybe exist. I'll just take the, is it the blue pill? Maybe I'll be happy as a little battery as long as I don't know about it and they put me in a nice and shiny virtual world. Sounds great to me, too. <laughs> as long as I never figured that out, that would be pretty depressing. <laughs> if you're going to opiate me like the masses, make sure it's a pretty darn good opiate. There we go. The title of this podcast. Drug me up great. Technolo uh, technology, the opiate of the masses. <laughs> Hey everyone, thanks again for listening. As always, if you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. If you have any questions on today's topics or suggestions for future episode topics, you can reach out to us on Twitter. I'm at XORRO underscore, Corey's at SecAdept, and the both of us are at hashtag the 443podcast. Thanks again for listening, and you will hear from us next week.